It's Monday, March 20th, and a former U.S. president thinks he's about to be arrested. We start here. As a Manhattan investigation wraps up, Donald Trump predicts his own indictment. That he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. He was very specific. Authorities aren't confirming, but they are worried his calls for protest could result in chaos. There is a warrant out for Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin specifically is accused of facilitating the deportation of Ukrainian children from that city into Russia. He responded by visiting the country he's invaded. And how high would your retirement age have to go before you took to the streets? He just doesn't listen. He's up there listening to the financial market. A new song in France, Will You Oppress Me? Will You Arrest Me? When I'm 64. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. It was 1789 when George Washington became the first president of the United States. In the 233 years since that, not a single U.S. president, current or former, has been charged in a criminal court. Think about that. Not state courts, not federal courts. Like It hasn't happened. And yet for months, several different investigations into former President Donald Trump had been escalating. Former President Trump's handling of classified documents. The subpoena specifically related to January 6th. It is recommending criminal indictments be filed. Some for conduct around the 2020 election, some over classified documents, one over a payment to a porn star. Porn star Stormy Daniels, who got a $130,000 hush money payment from Trump in 2016, met with Manhattan prosecutors. Which ordinarily you might think those don't all sound equally important. But when the payment is allegedly made to help win an election and it's illegal to make campaign expenditures without telling anyone, it's possible this could lead to the first indictment of a U.S. president. This weekend, former President Trump issued a call to his supporters on his social media site predicting that he's about to be arrested by Manhattan prosecutors. Let's go to ABC senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky. Aaron, can you walk me through how this unfolded? Because it's not like the, the Manhattan DA came out with some announcement, right? This was just Donald Trump himself. Yeah, not at all, Brad. In fact, the Manhattan district attorney has been very quiet and said he would only speak through court papers about the possibility of criminal charges for former President Trump over the hush payment to Stormy Daniels. But it was Saturday morning, and we're not sure why, but but former President Trump on social media posted that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. He was very specific, and he called for protests. A spokesman for him a couple of hours later sent word that, well, the the former president didn't have any specific knowledge of when he might be indicted, but uh, was more generally denouncing the whole possibility of a criminal prosecution. Then on Saturday evening, the entire Manhattan district attorney's office, all 1,600 employees, got a message from the DA himself, Alvin Bragg, saying that he would not tolerate any attempt to intimidate the office or or threaten any kind of violence in New York, because to many, calling his supporters to protest had echoes of, of another episode for which he's under criminal investigation, January 6th. Mm. And Aaron, just so we're clear, though, is, I mean, from what you've reported, is this true? I mean, is there a plan to indict or arrest the former president? The Manhattan DA's office has not said either way whether they're going to move forward with a criminal indictment of of Trump. But we do know that the grand jury has heard from multiple witnesses, including some, some key witnesses. This is not revenge. 
right? What this is is about accountability. Michael Cohen, who actually wrote the $130,000 check to Stormy Daniels. He needs to be held accountable for his dirty deeds. Daniels herself met by video conference with prosecutors. We've seen Kellyanne Conway, Trump's aide, go in. Hope Hicks, his former spokeswoman during the 2016 campaign. Is the president going to go to the grand jury? Uh, we have no plans on, on participating in that. And tellingly, the DA's office also gave Trump himself the opportunity to tell his side of the story to the grand jury. That is required of all potential criminal defendants in New York, but mm. it's not a step that prosecutors typically take unless they are ready to move forward with an indictment. So you expect an indictment? Uh, I expect justice to prevail. And if that's the case, George, there shouldn't be an indictment. I mean, this case is outrageous, really. And it, Aaron, what would the charges even be? Like, cause can you remind us in the prosecutor's eyes, what would take this beyond like a tawdry tabloid scandal to an indictable crime? What What is that step? Yeah, hush payments by themselves, Brad, are, are not criminal. Right. The, the issue that the Manhattan DA's office has been looking at for a long time, for years, is whether Trump and the Trump organization falsified business records in logging that $130,000 as a routine legal expense when the company reimbursed Michael Cohen the money. And, and Cohen, who went to prison over this and eventually testified to Congress over this and has testified before the grand jury over this. You created a shell company called Essential Consultants, LLC. Is that correct? It's correct. He has said the true purpose of, of the, the hush payment was to protect the 2016 campaign. So the $130,000 amounted to, to an illegal campaign contribution by, by Trump himself. The payments were designed to be paid over the course of 12 months and it was declared to be a retainer for services um, that would be provided for the year. And that's where the focus of the prosecutors has been, not on the payment itself, but how it was booked. So then, Aaron, I mean, let's say we don't know if it would be this week. We don't know if it would happen at all. But if President Trump, former President Trump, was indicted, what effects would that have? What would that mean for, for him and the rest of the country, I guess? Well, it would be incredibly historic. And, and we've heard other politicians talk about whether it's good or bad for the country, good or bad for him. Former Vice President Pence spoke to ABC News. As you know, those those events transpired before I even joined the national ticket. And so I can't I can't speak to the well, merits of well, the, the case. The payoff happened just two weeks before the election. But I, I, I can't speak to the merits of the case. Yeah. And in, in America, you're innocent until proven guilty. Former President Trump has said that if he is indicted, it's not going to change his plan to seek another term in the White House. We are going to finish what we started. We started something that was America. So it may not have the effect of, of kicking him off the campaign trail, but it would certainly make him the first former American president to face criminal charges. And, and they wouldn't necessarily be the only ones because Trump is under investigation over his role on January 6th, over his handling of classified material, over efforts to overturn the, the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. And, and all of those prosecutions at some point will come to a, a decision as to whether to, to file charges. Right. And you actually reported this weekend that the Manhattan DA is now sending out a request for yet another witness they'll meet with today. This one was actually at Trump's behest. So you'd assume this witness will be defending the former president. Aaron Katursky, thanks a lot. Thank you, Brad.
Next up on Start here, Vladimir Putin's now a wanted man, so he went to the only country where he's unwanted. We go to Ukraine after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more or I'd read a book or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. Last Friday, the International Criminal Court did something unprecedented. The International Criminal Court has issued two warrants of arrest in the Ukraine situation. It issued an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin. For the alleged war crimes of deportation of children from Ukrainian occupied territories. And while this does not mean anyone's about to drop into Moscow and haul Putin away, this is a big deal. Russia is a world power, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, and here's The Hague saying Putin is wanted for alleged war crimes associated with his invasion of Ukraine. And it was against that backdrop this weekend that made it even more shocking when Putin crossed the border and showed up in Ukraine. Of course, this is the part of Ukraine that is now under his country's military control. ABC's Foreign correspondent Tom Sufi Burge is in Ukraine right now in Kiev, an unoccupied Ukraine. Tom, where was this visit, though, by Putin? Yeah, well, so Putin turned up this weekend in the city of Mariupol. That's the port city, a Ukrainian city which Russia grabbed right at the beginning of the war. But, I mean, it was under siege by Russian forces for, for weeks, if not months. Russian artillery effectively decimated the city, killed probably tens of thousands of people. We simply don't know how many Ukrainian civilians died. And and here's President Putin pitching up. This is his first visit into Russian-occupied land taken by Russia since the full-scale invasion last February. And on state Russian TV, we're seeing Putin driving around the city of Mariupol, visiting newly built apartments, 
uh, greeted by a small number of uh, very happy residents. Happy to see him in a carefully choreographed trip. And it's pretty stunning imagery given that, you know, not long ago it was Russia basically flattening this city, accused, of course, of, of widespread war crimes in places like Mariupol. And and so why? What was the purpose of this trip? And did that timing with the ICC warrant play into it? Well, I think there's two factors why now. I mean, it, it came pretty much 24 hours, more or less, after Vladimir Putin was indicted by the International Criminal Court. And what's really striking is that this is, I think, Vladimir Putin snubbing international justice mm. because actually it is Mariupol, one of the key places where... Uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin specifically is accused of facilitating the deportation of Ukrainian children from that city into Russia. The Russian military came and took us away. It was really scary. Information indicating that members of Russia's forces deported hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian civilians, including children. Russia's forces and other Russian officials have committed crimes against humanity. And in fact, the Russian Children's Commissioner, who was also indicted by the International Criminal Court, spoke to Vladimir Putin on Russian state TV. Did you adopt a child from Mariupol? Yes, and it was all thanks to you. She thanked Vladimir Putin because he signed the decree making this all possible. And you can imagine what it's like to be the mother of a child from the Donbass. It's challenging, but we love each other. Well, that's the most important thing. Yes. And that is one of the key pieces of evidence against him being used by international judges and why he is a wanted man in The Hague, even though we all, I think, accept that the chances of Vladimir Putin actually appearing in a court are incredibly remote. This is also a a show of power from Vladimir Putin. I mean, pitching up in in Russian-occupied Ukraine at a critical moment in the war. Russia is on the offensive in eastern Ukraine. He's he's turning up and and really it's a show of defiance, Mm. effectively, against Ukraine and against its Western allies and in particular the United States. What's your reaction to the International Criminal Court issuing an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin? Well, I think it's justified. Important to note that the US also, as well as Russia, doesn't recognize the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court, but President Biden clearly welcoming the move. But I think it makes a very strong point. Hey, and then, Tom, on, on one hand, then, you've got these charges from the ICC that you mentioned. I would assume that makes you kind of a global pariah. On the other hand, Putin's about to have this huge meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping today and this week. How cut off is he, really, if if 40 percent of the permanent members of the Security Council are hanging out together? Yeah, well, I mean, this summit is key for Vladimir Putin. I think it's a diplomatic coup. I mean, it, you know, it's the first time the Chinese president has been to Russia since Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine last February. So it, it is a big moment for Putin. We're going to have the two most powerful autocrats in the world standing shoulder to shoulder, and they are promising deeper cooperation, a deeper partnership. There are fears. U.S. officials are warning that China might start to arm uh, Russia and provide weapons for the war in Ukraine. You know, China is promising it might try and uh, launch a peace plan for negotiations. That's rejected by the, the White House over the weekend. 
you know, the White House clearly saying that this is not the moment for for peace negotiations because it will only give Vladimir Putin more time. It will let him buy time, rearm and attack Ukraine at a later date. But Vladimir Putin is not as isolated, I think, as probably a lot of people believe. I mean, not only China. I mean, there are many other big nations that are at least sitting on the fence in this war. You know, nations like uh, India, Brazil. And, and, and there are many nations, really, that are still very key allies for Russia. I mean, most of Africa, most of the Middle East. I mean, they are not coming down and condemning the war. At the very least, they are pals of Putin. Most of their actions, I think most of their relationship with Russia now is purely driven on economics and finance and their own national interest. And also, if you're reliant on China, then that also probably puts you in this neutral territory as well. All right. Uh, Tom Sufi Burge, really helpful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Right now in France, no one knows which place is next to be hit. This weekend, with little warning, protesters burst into a shopping center near Paris, shouting, waving flags. No arrests were made, but further west, in Brittany, another shopping center was locked down as even more protesters arrived outside. Other demonstrations have resulted in violence and mass arrests. Some politicians' offices have been vandalized. All of this in response to a plan from Emmanuel Macron's government to raise the age of retirement. ABC's Inez de la Quattara is based in Paris. And Inez, I mean, we've heard about protests and strikes over European social programs before, but like this sounds like they have a different feel to them, right? What What's happening there? Hey, Brad. Yeah, things certainly heating up here. It does feel different this time around. These are protests that have been kind of coming and going since uh, January, but they have really started to pick up in recent weeks. <laughs> So uh, I was out covering these protests all weekend. On Friday, we saw uh, hundreds of protesters gathering on the Place de la Concorde right in the heart of of Paris and setting a a massive fire there. And and police fired back with water cannons to try and put that out. We did witness clashes between protesters and police officers. And then uh, on Saturday evening as well, another big uh, protest in a different part of Paris where, again, uh, trash cans were set on fire. They're burning trash cans because those burn up really quickly. And and uh, there's a massive fire in the middle of the streets and, and, and more clashes there as well. So these are images we're seeing time and time again, and we're seeing them not just in Paris, really across France. These are are protests that are spreading uh, around the country. And this all sort of goes back to the age of retirement, right? What is the current age and what does Emmanuel Macron want to do? Yeah, so this is all about uh, pension reform. So French President Emmanuel Macron is trying to reform pensions. The most controversial kind of aspect of uh, his proposed plan to reform pensions is raising the minimum retirement age from 62 to 64. And, uh, you know, so so Macron says he doesn't have a choice, that people are living longer, that the Mm. demographics are just changing, and that uh, the government will go into the red should the system stay as is. But on the flip side, demonstrators are saying uh, that that there should be other ways to fund uh, pensions. So, for instance, some demonstrators we were speaking with were talking about taxing the rich. That's something we're hearing time and time again. Mm. They want Macron to find other ways to fund uh, pensions. And they're also furious with the way Macron is going about it here. So Macron is using a procedure uh, to get his law through that is similar to executive action. Uh, He is basically uh, pushing his law through parliament without a vote. And so many protesters 
say that that is anti-democratic. So they're furious with uh, not just the, the the proposed bill, but the, the way it's um, the way Macron is trying to pass this bill as well. I was going to say, Ines, because I, I think a lot of Americans would be like, boo-hoo, like you have to work until you're 64. Like that sounds great to a lot of people here. And yet and yet you've used the word furious a couple times. So this really does sound like it's beyond just an average like policy dispute. It's not academic. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so I think there's a cultural aspect to this where, you know, a lot of the protesters I was speaking with recognize that uh, they just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big part of uh, French life is these uh, benefits. And they're concerned about that. They're also worried about the fact that, you know, they say if it's two years now, it could be another two years down the road. And, and it, this is just the government asking workers to work more and more and more. He just wants to open the, um, the pension, the pensions system to uh, capitalization. And that's really something we don't want here because, I mean, contrary to the U.S., we're kind of a socialist country, I guess, much more in a socialist country. And we are very deep down attached to it. This also is just more evidence of just how frustrated people are getting to be with the Macron government. He uh, is not the most popular right now. And, uh, you know, certainly the protesters in, in the streets are, are furious. But if you look at uh, recent polling, uh, specifically when it comes to pension reform as well, there was a really interesting poll from the uh, Institute of French Public Opinion that said that just 32 percent of French citizens actually support pension reform. And he just doesn't listen. He's up there listening to the financial markets and that's his only point, actually. Um, and, and I think it's interesting to note that on uh, Monday, actually, the uh, lawmakers will be holding a vote of no confidence in Macron's government. Mm. That goes to show you, uh, again, just how unpopular he is uh, right now. And then the other thing about this, Brad, is that you can't escape this issue. You can't escape these protests. They're really affecting every part of public life. It's not just the people taking to the streets. We're also seeing a number of uh, workers, thousands of workers across many, many different industries uh, participating in strikes. So thousands of workers going on strikes. Wow. It's uh, affecting uh, public transportation. So flights and trains delayed and uh, sanitation. Uh, garbage workers have been on strike for 15 days now. Wow. And I mean, the streets of Paris have been transformed. It's mounds and mounds of trash everywhere. Uh, as of this weekend, they were reporting over 10,000 tons of trash had been piling up. And then even when they are starting to clean up some areas, because the mayor of Paris has now forced some workers to go back to work to start cleaning up. Even with that, though, we're still seeing mounds of trash everywhere. Um, but then even the trash that's being collected, it's not being burned. And there's issues with the incinerators and the incinerators are also on strike. So it's piling up in, in different parts of Paris. Um, so, yeah, you, you really can't escape this right now. Well, and as like literally foreign as that can seem, I do think that it probably resonates with a lot of Americans that you're seeing this anger both from the left and from the right in France, because at the end of the day, your retirement age also can affect blue collar workers more than white collar workers. Like it might not matter as much whether a college professor is teaching at 62 or 63, but for a welder or a bus driver, you can imagine that that being a big deal after you've been asked to do so much physically throughout your life, being told hey, just a few more years of that the resentment there off the charts. Inez de la Quattara in Paris, as always. Thank you. Thank you. All right, one more quick break. When we come back, March Madness is popping off this year. Both of them. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. We've seen some incredible moments in March Madness so far. Friday on CBS, we witnessed history as 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson beat number one Purdue. We also saw a huge Princeton win. There's the big one. Wait, I'm not talking about the men's team. And they're not even going to get a shot off. Princeton's defense home, and they're moving on. The NCAA women's tournament has been electrifying this year, with several historic comebacks happening within just hours of each other. And Alabama with the turnover, and Baylor comes back from 18 down. We've also got number one South Carolina going for a perfect season. It's great television, and it's challenged assumptions about what this product is worth. This weekend's women's tournament featured games in our partner network, ESPN, like usual, but also ABC proper. That is the first time since 1995 you haven't needed a cable subscription to catch parts of the tournament. This follows a turbulent couple of years for the NCAA in which a series of outrages forced a reckoning on how the women's game is treated. I got something to show y'all. In 2021, Oregon Sedona Prince went viral when she shared video of men's weightlifting facilities, then just a single rack of dumbbells for the women. If you aren't upset about this problem, then you're a part of it. And whenever people bring up the discrepancies between men and women's ball, they often point to money, which intuitively makes sense. You bring in more money, you expect to command more power. But that argument skips a pretty important fact, which is, by all measures, the women's game is performing exceptionally well on the business end. Last year's tournament saw huge bumps in viewership. Ad slots for this year sold out early. And some former college athletes have said, if you want to know why the game isn't better equipped, don't blame the money, don't blame the fans, don't even blame the broadcasters. Blame the NCAA itself. After all, it's the NC2A that told women's organizers they couldn't use the brand March Madness. That was only to be used by the men. It's the NCAA that organizes its own hierarchies in which the head of women's basketball reports directly to the head of men's basketball. And it's the NCAA that has left money on the table by undervaluing the women's game. Dribbling at the So this is a real thing. Women's basketball airs on ESPN as part of a package with lots of other college sports. But men's basketball is considered so valuable that it's a separate thing. Networks bid billions to broadcast. No one's suggesting the women's tournament would fetch that number. But when the NCAA commissioned a report from an outside law firm, that report estimated the women's rights could attract as much as $100 million. The NCAA essentially had given them away in this package that was barely worth 30 Think about all those millions that could have been reinvested into the game. We're often told to watch women's sports to support them, as if the sports themselves are charity cases. But to those in the know, both sets of March Madness brackets are plenty strong, whether you know it or not. And since all my brackets are complete and absolute messes, I can just sit back and watch the games for fun now. I have no money or pride resting on them. All the money and pride is gone. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow.